Good morning, everybody. I'm Charlie Fink. It's September 4th, 2021. I'm here with my co-host, Ted Shilowitz. It's This Week in XR. Good morning, Ted. Good morning, Charlie. An interesting, vibrant week, still in our home abodes, but, you know, curving out and uh, lots of interesting things to talk about this week. We have, a, we have a great guest this morning, our friend Mike Pell from the Microsoft Garage. Yes, he's, uh, he's an interesting uh, gentleman that has lots of interesting insights and has a very cool job. Uh, so uh, he's yeah. going to talk about some interesting also stuff. Also another uh, genuine OG in tech who was uh, there when uh, VRL, uh, VRML was invented. He was at Adobe in yep. the early days working on um, uh, things like Acrobat, if you remember when that didn't yeah, Acrobat, right, yeah. Yeah. Um, so top story this week, Ted. Yeah. Our friends at Enreal landing at it, raising more dough, which is great. Yeah. A hundred million dollars. Holy crow. I remember when that used to be a lot of money. Yeah. I'm, you know, I'm I'm getting ready and already putting my predictive hat on about what the Enreal 2 is going to look like. You know, the Enreal 1 is out in certain markets and has already, you know, started to shave off a bit of the idea of how people will use these devices. Uh, but still not quite like perfectly ergonomic and still a little thick and a little clunky, certainly, you know, because it attaches to the smartphone and de-weighted, but hard to wear for, for longer periods of time. So with another hundred million, it'll be interesting to see, you know, they have a, they have a longer trajectory now to keep working on this and refining it to a point where it starts to get really, really, really usable and, and viable. Well, of course, 5G hasn't quite uh, expanded in the U.S. as quickly as it has in other parts of the world. Yeah. I think the interesting thing about uh, that there's a relationship between this and the Apple Epic lawsuit mm. and the ability to, you know, right now they're only compatible with Android phones, and that's really going to slow their growth. Mm -hmm. So yeah. if, if somehow this led to them being able to address the iPhone and iOS in general, they would uh, be able to expand much more quickly. And again, it's our whole conversation about interoperability right. and um, you know, the obstacle that Apple's closed um, walled garden can pose. Exactly. Well, and hardware as a walled garden for Apple has always been kind of a hard stop, right, in terms of their interoperability. Um, although, you know, if you think about an Enreal device as an external monitor, which is effectively what it is, a wearable external monitor that you connect to a another device, now an Android-only device. Um, if they view it in those terms, then maybe they would support it. But there are obviously aspirations for Apple to build right. their own devices in this domain, which means that that walled garden may be pretty damn high. Well, there was actually uh, a very great, Steve Jobs there, logic, right? There was a Mac rumor, which surely is untrue, uh, which said that Apple's AR glasses were actually in production. Hmm. I, gotta, I, I, I find that very hard to believe. And they have been saying that for two years so yeah well production <laughs> for apple could mean many many things right yeah. uh, there's there's development pre-production testing ideation fabrication like the many many years and many many cycles so whatever might drift out of a, a of a fab or a factory in taiwan or or malaysia uh may have some kernel of truth to it but it is probably not the actual truth um, so in other news, Niantic yeah. is shutting down Catan, which was in um, early access for the past year. Uh, do you know what's going on there, Ted? Well, I played with friends, settlers of Catan a few times, the board game, which is wildly successful. Um, yeah, their console game is popular too. Mm -hmm. um, I, I guess my, my thing on this is 
mixed reality, you know, like augmented reality slash mixed reality phone-based location-ish gaming is a really hard nut to crack. Completely cracked hyper successfully with Pokemon Go, but fell over the waves in the wrong way with uh, Harry Potter Wizards Unite. This too sophisticated, too hard for users to dive into. And Catan, maybe even though it's hyper successful as a board game and, and a console game, um, didn't just didn't transfer, didn't connect, right? If you think about the amount of material that's made creatively and the things that become hits just in any medium, it's very, you know, it's a small number, right? You can't just will something into success with dollars and, and, a, and a brand. It has to actually connect to the user base. And this one just didn't, you know, I'm not sure there was probably a small number of users that probably loved it uh, as, as that type of a Niantic experience, but not enough to keep going. And it's an interesting sort of telltale sign of how hard it is to make a hit there. So uh, last couple of stories and then let's get to Mike. Um, there's a free Harry Potter fan generated some uh, app called Seeker VR. Yeah, speaking of Harry Potter, right? Yeah, Yeah, exactly. And I have to tell you, Ted, I tried it. Oh, you tried it? I haven't tried it yet. It's, it's it? better than the Harry Potter attraction that Dreamscape made hmm. uh, for their venue in Manhattan. Wow, interesting. I can't wait to, I'm gonna, after this, after we're done with our podcast, I'm gonna hop in and, and give it so, a go. Really and, and the fun part of this story for those who are listening and not reading my column is that the creator is a single individual uh, who is anonymous because he's trying to decide, trying to dodge potential cease and desist. Of course. Uh, so uh, anyway, you might want to get in there before it's too late. <laughs> yeah, I'll, I'll do it right now. Yeah, it's interesting. And, uh, uh, you know, and Disney has had, what's that? I wanted to segue into Dreamscape because they just launched the Men in Black experience. Yeah, well, as, as we talk about big IP, talking about this Hogwarts thing, Disney, both on the official side, has experimented with kind of virtualizing some of their theme park stuff. But some of the more interesting stuff has been these independent folks that have tried to kind of like someone made a, uh, a haunted a haunted mansion experience in Sony Dreams that actually could port into VR. And I play with a little bit, you know, a little clunky, but conceptually, like the idea of fan art and, and fandom uh, know, yeah. moving into these mediums is something I actually believe that the big corporate entities want to support in certain ways because it yeah. does help, uh, you know, I mean, obviously it's a tricky one because it's their IP. Well, look at the number of infringing avatars people have not gone after in VR chat. Right, of course, absolutely. Well, uh, let's, let's um, pivot from the news to our friend, Mike Pell from Microsoft Garage. Mike, you're on. Welcome. Our guest this morning is Mike Pell. He's the chief envisioneer at the Microsoft Garage in New York. Mike, welcome. Great to see you. And thanks for coming on the show. Great to see you again, Charlie. And hey, Ted. Hey, Mike. Good to see you. Uh, we were talking before the show about how, um, about where we all are. Isn't that the first thing you say now when you get on a call? It's, where are you? Yeah. So well, I'm, I'm coming to you live, house live from New York. Yeah. You're in New York. In an actual work office, not at home. No, we're uh, in our brand new, beautiful building right on the edge of Soho. Uh, so, you know, both of you probably know this neighborhood very well. I yeah. crowd on Houston and Lafayette. So right. it's, you know, center for design and fashion and creativity and music for decades and decades. So it's wonderful to be here. That's great. Um, Ted, have you been back in the office yet? 
Only uh, for, you know, there, there are certain things from a like studio production perspective that I've had to sort of look in on and, and meet and go to various stages for things. But so far we're still um, being asked for obvious reasons uh, not to use our office for regular office. There are people that can go in if you want to, you still have to wear a mask inside the office. And for me, you know, I've already been sort of living in this metaverse so much pre-pandemic that it, I can kind of work from anywhere and so still home. But I think uh, pretty soon there'll be there'll be some office days that we're kind of logging in. We are we are back in person, live and in person at Chapman, but totally yeah. masked up. Right. You know, if you cross the threshold of a building, you must have a mask on. And you know, there have been some breakthrough infections, so people are taking it very seriously. Yeah. Yeah. So Just in the last good. week. You know, walking into a restaurant or a bar, everybody has asked for their proof of vaccination here in New York City. So that's that's been a big change for everyone. Yeah. You mean so people are more comfortable being unmasked? Well, people had to get their act together and make sure that they had that to begin with. And then, but you know, like it, it's very odd. So you can't walk in until you, you know, have your proof of vaccination. Once you go in the restaurant, nobody's wearing a mask. If you walk into a store, you know, like any store, there's lots of people wearing masks. So it's a very odd mixture. Yeah, we have that same thing here in LA. It's still very mask culture. Uh, when you get even just sort of outside of LA proper in Orange County, it's slightly, it's different. You know, people have a different mentality, even within California, the different sectors and then you go to other states and you go to Arizona, you go to places, they're, they're not interested in wearing masks. And you know what? It's, it's yeah, we could yeah. get into the deep politics and the dynamics of all this, but that's not what our show is about. But it is an interesting yeah. thing to talk so, about. So, Mike, I got a question for you. So, during the whole sort of eighteen months of quarantine, did you guys at Microsoft use the Hololens to collaborate or use Microsoft Mesh at all yourselves? Absolutely. Yeah. So, you, know, you both know very well. Like during that period, we released, um, you know, not one but two different versions of Mesh. You know, like there's a brand new one that's been yeah. updated. So that work all continued. We had a, a gigantic Surface announcement yesterday uh, or the day before, right? Yeah, lots yeah. of new stuff. So a lot of that work was done. You know, it, it had to be done in a very interesting remote work fashion. You know, you can't just sit behind a Teams call and get everything done. So there, there had to be some people in the office, people using, you know, other types of devices um, to be able to meet remotely in that way. Uh, so we're having like a little, uh, it's, it's not a real fire. We're getting our, our elevator worked on. So I, I will mute myself for just a moment. How about that? Well, while you mute, I will, I will mention to our, to our listeners that I've been in a couple of HoloLens 2 mess sessions uh, with some Microsoft engineers and some external folks that uh, we work with, as well as some internal Viacom CBS folks using our kind of cartoony avatars, you know, the alt space looking can, avatars. Can you explain what Mesh is? There may be a few people on the call who are uh, wondering what the heck we're talking about. Uh, yeah, Mike, are you, is your alarm still going off? Should I explain it or do you want to do it? Okay, Mike's alarm still going off. So, so for those that have uh, VR headsets and have been in something like alt space or spatial or one of those, um, within a HoloLens uh, 1 and 2, I guess, but now focused primarily on the HoloLens 2, um, the, there's a mixed reality version of a social uh, sharing collaboration environment where you can build an avatar. Uh, I would give you the reference of if, if you go all the way back and remember kind of like the we and a me that you made your me, uh, it's sort of like an evolved version of that. It's very like kind of low poly cartoonish style avatar. Uh, and you can design, you know, your hair wear and your clothing a little bit, but it's not a photorealistic thing, at least not as yet, although Mike have some, may have some updates on that. Um, 
And so you, you kind of gather with your cartoon avatar and you can be in a place together. And there's often like a little work table that's sort of the default that sets up. You can bring in 3G, 3D objects or 2D objects to that work table. You can open up a PDF or anything you'd have in, in a Sketchfab or, or uh, you know, any, any kind of the collaboration tools. Um, and you can discuss things. You can size them up by pulling things. And because you're in mixed reality, not virtual reality, you are grounded in your space. So if you're in your living room or your office or your backyard at dusk, it doesn't, you know, Holland's not great in the bright sunlight, but I've actually done it outside at, at sort of like magic hour. And it was kind of amazing. And um, you can see each other in your own environments. Uh, and then you can also record that through the device. So what's interesting uh, is like, I have a couple of recordings where like I'm in my living room and the other person is seeing me there and I'm seeing them in their environment. Um, and, and it's interesting the way it plays out. So think about like, if you've done the, the Facebook, uh, uh, Facebook workrooms thing or the, um, or spatial or alt space, it's a more, even more evolved version of that because you're in a mixed reality environment. That, that that's a, a fantastic description, Ted. Fantastic. That, that's right on. And one of the most exciting things is one of the new features where you can have people who are sort of in a space, you know, with no optics at all, right? And, and they can participate in this. So like that's sort of the next um, generation of this is you don't have to be wearing a HoloLens. You can be on a different type of device or, you know, or, or sort of no device if you're in a room that's equipped. So you can participate. So it's a lot so of that fun. expands the user audience exponentially, right? Because mm -hmm. not everybody has a HoloLens, not even, but right. even has a Quest, which is you know a tenth of the price of a HoloLens. Yeah. Um, but the idea of almost everybody has a computer or a mobile phone, and the fact that you can cross-play that way—that is actually part of the definition of this thing that Charlie and I can't stop talking about because everybody in our world is talking about—is part of the metaverse. Is the idea of this interoperable world where some people may have super advanced. You had, you had to segue. I know, we went down the rabbit hole again. Oh, <laughs> ding, ding, but it is very ding, accurate. Ding. It's very important, you know? So here we are. I, I was just thinking to myself, you know, so our, our I'm sure, mutual buddy, uh, Tony Parisi and Mark Pesci defined the virtual reality markup language in a web browser, right, 25 years ago. Mm -hmm. And the metaverse that they dreamed of is no different than the metaverse everybody's dreaming of today. Absolutely. It's always been the same thing. You know, it's been called a lot of different things. We've, it's been like a sine wave, you know, up and down, up and down, but maybe it's going to stick this time. I, 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 you know, it's one of these things, like we started talking about it and I'm sort of like, why are we talking about this again? I mean, I know it's because of, you know, big publicly traded companies like uh, Facebook and um, others, NVIDIA uh, have been talking about the metaverse and when, you know, people with that kind of influence, you know, who are in charge of essentially that much of the economy right. uh, say something, you know, like Tim Cook, the world leans into it. And certainly the metaverse is because it is a intellectual concept right now without a platform other than the browser. Um, you know, it is completely open for interpretation. I will say I am tempted to give an annual award or maybe it should be a monthly award to the press release I get that uses the word metaverse the, the most. most. <laughs> <laughs> But think about it as this technology fabric, right? We're sitting in a video chat client Zoom right now, but Charlie, you and I could also, within our same technical environment we're sitting on, we could text each other. We could hop on another you know, a browser and see or, each other. Or, or a different device. Or a different device. And we could do it all simultaneously. So there's a, a, a human interoperability of all this yes. um, that allows us to kind of do this, right? And, mm -hmm. and 
we're just evolving it. So like yep. when people talk about it as a new thing, it's not a new thing. It's just the evolution of our interconnected technology worlds, which obviously right. Microsoft is a big you know, leader in. Yeah. And, yeah, and you know, the, the new thing that we all, you know, was sort of dropped on all of us was the future of work is right now, right? And so this is like, it's very germane to our discussion, Charlie, about, you know, we were talking about this hybrid workplace and the future work and how does this all figure in? This is all part of it, but it's happening at a rate that nobody expected. Right. This, like, like this may be like, normal. This may be the new normal. And, you mm -hmm. know, we're going to be um, in these sort of masked islands with infections going up and down and people getting breakthroughs uh, all the time. Yeah, but it, it's always also, this was the vision, right? That people would be remote, that you could be anywhere. You could like, it was, you know, the, the canonical thing is you could be sitting on a beach and like joining your work meeting and everything yeah. would be fine. And, and guess what? We're there. It's like, look at telemedicine, right? Mm. Look, you know, we yeah. fast forwarded telemedicine at least 15 years because of this in like a month. And the same thing with remote work, we all have to deal with this and, and this is not going away. And so all of these platforms like Mesh and Spatial and all the things you mentioned, they're super interesting previews into how things will be. And, and I don't think we're going back. Yeah, I would, I would mention uh, for our listeners and viewers that are watching this and listening to it, uh, if they just search for um, Microsoft and Case Western University, some of the telemedicine um, and uh, sort of exploration. Hollow anatomy. Hollow anatomy. Search for that and you'll get a bunch of interesting stories. There's the press release version, and then you can get the sort of stories within the stories mm -hmm. of people reporting on it. Um, this isn't just like a thing that people are thinking about. It's actually. Yeah, you have, you have to find my hollow anatomy story from CES 2017, which was the first time I put on a HoloLens. Wow. But that now, was, you know, they're, they're using it in the operating theater. Yeah. Like, yeah. Oh, yeah. So this is, this is part of yeah, actual medicine I mean, now. all sorts of devices, um, including bespoke devices, uh, N-reels um, are, are being used. Uh, and I mean, the medical field is very advanced when it comes to using and experimenting with devices. Uh, integrating them into the healthcare infrastructure, not so much, because you get into the world of who pays for this and how do you prove its efficacy. Um, but in terms of uh, research scientists and flat out geeks, it, I think the medical field is number two after computer science, um, you know, in terms of uh, the adoption or at least um, let's say the evangelism and, and experimentation with new technology. And it does solve some big problems that doctors have been complaining about for for half a century yeah. uh, screen pollution <laughs> screen pollution being the biggest one yeah i was gonna ask ted a, a question about that so I, I was telling charlie before we started that there's a, a using a, up all this good stuff for the pre-roll yeah yeah but we were talking about uh, microsoft just published some research saying that this remote work you know like the way we've all been dealing with things the last year and a half has resulted in some real short-term productivity gains. Right? Yes, you, know, yes. you sit there, you focus, everything's great, but it's uh, been very detrimental to creativity and long-term you know, sort of creativity. Hmm. And so I was gonna ask you, Ted, so working in a studio type, highly creative kind of environment you know, for a long time, do you find that to be true? Do you find that, that maybe we're, you know, the, the creative teams, the people who are working on things where we used to always just be in the same room and that's how we've always done things. Is that suffering for you? That's or do you think people have adapted? 
It's interesting. I, I would say it's a mixed bag. I would say like you could look at a, sort of a, a surface benefit of removing the commute of people that live in urban or suburban areas. You add an extra hour of your day, not necessarily to work, but to, to do personal time, to actually recharge your batteries and, you know, do things with your family. If you have a, a younger family in the house, mine, I'm, we're empty nesters now, right? But mm -hmm. for the beginning of the pandemic, you know, I'll, I'll, my kids were back in the house, you know, back from school. And, and, and so it was actually kind of like this weird sort of like, you know, silver lining inside that, uh, which was lovely. Um, but just the idea of people that like live in the New York metro area, right? And have two hour plus commutes either way. There are many people. So you just like, that's a big practical one, right? And, mm -hmm. and the idea of not getting on international flights and just having to lean into technology to do it. Um, I think that's a big win. I think there are two types of uh, humans and two types of kind of work groups. Um, groups that have really figured out a way to adapt into video communication um, and find all of the benefits of collaboration and sharing. Uh, but you have to be kind of relatively good at technology and you have to be in, a, in an area where you have really good stable internet and the right compute tools and the right, like right. you have to be among that subset and not, yeah. you know, we all- That's what, that's what I was saying earlier. We, our, our sample size is relatively small. Right. right. We all work. We're so dealing much. with creative technology workers. Yeah. And even within that small set, there's so much inequity, right? right. There are so yeah. many people that are on bad connections or have the kids are screaming, the dogs barking, that it's like it, you like you can't deal with it. So, but I'm kind of curious in particular for the creative set, for, for people mm -hmm. who are doing um, you know, jobs and, and they're in companies and roles where they have to be highly creative, is is something like Mash or Spatial or like any of these you know, more immersive collaboration going to help with that because Absolutely. you can't physically be there. Yeah. And I think, you know, when, again, when you, when you take a step back and study how entertainment content gets created, um, people are largely working remotely anyway, even, you know, pre-pandemic, and then they gather together at moments yep. to kind of share and build things together. So the script writers, the producers, the logistics person, the set people are all kind of working in their own little fiefdoms. And they'll share via email, they'll share via text and phone calls. They're already doing remote anyway. The thing that got sort of displaced was the big kind of group meeting, the pre-production meetings, the like sit and work on the whiteboard. So the more that tech companies can create digital metaphors for all those things we did in the, in the physical world, and it feels more real, the more success you'll have. So we've already seen mostly in VR and now starting to get MR because MR is still more exotic, right? Um, the idea of like a, a group of production workers all with VR headsets saying, we're gonna have a, a spatial meeting. We're gonna sit around the, the boardroom table, the big creative table. We're gonna have a virtual whiteboard. We can share video clips. Um, and there's a, it's a little disoriented when you're in VR. I think it, it gets even better when you're in mixed reality because you can still feel your own real environment. But I absolutely feel that it is a, is something that's happening. So the more we can encourage companies like Microsoft to keep leaning into it, the bigger benefit it'll have across many industries, any industry that has to collaborate, not just the entertainment industry, the medical yeah. industry, the heavy and light, you know, in the uh, construction industries and, you know, ar architecture and anybody that needs to share 3D files is already a big win. You've got to already got that built in. Yeah. And that's, um, you know, you know very well that that's been part of Alex Kipman's vision, right, for what we're doing is that we would get to this point of, of collaboration where we felt like we were all in the room, we could work on objects, 
documents, like anything we're doing together on phones and, and tablets, like you mentioned this earlier, what we're finding and what this report sort of uh, borne out is that there's something human lost in all of this, even with all the technology, even with all the brilliant, ingenious things we come up with, there, there's a missing part that you just can't replace. And that's why, you know, it's so exciting whenever you get to see one of your teammates or, you know, friends or, or family you haven't seen for a long time. And I, I wonder how we're ever going to overcome that part of it, or if we will, if, if things will just change. And that's how it is. Yeah, I mean, we talk about, about that, like, you know, the movie theater experience, which is, of course, going under dynamic yes. change. But the idea of gathering together and feeling the human energy inside a theater, inside a Broadway play, inside a concert, certainly coming back, you know, when the sort of curve of the pandemic, but there's a lot of people that have just cocooned up and probably won't do that. And, you know. But, you me. know, the your home system is so good. Right. It's so good. So you're, you get to the point where like, why do I want to go to a theater? Why would I take that risk? It's kind right. of smelly. It's more convenient to be at home. I could go to my own bathroom. It doesn't cost $50 for the two of us. I mean, you know, the list of reasons that, I mean, I have a, you know, 70 inch QLED screen that I sit 10 feet away from. Why the hell would I go to the ballpark? Right. And you're right. making and really... by the way, going to the ballpark, at least in a place that I would sit, it's going to cost me a hundred and something dollars per ticket. Right. 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 So, right. you know, it's like, is it that much better? Wouldn't I rather just sit here on my couch, keep the well, but, you know, one of, one of the in my big, wallet and yeah, one of the big changes close up? Yeah. So here in New York, like everything went outside, right? So there's like outdoor dining everywhere. Yeah. which is wonderful. I hope it never goes back yeah. like that. That's a, that's a good thing, but outdoor concerts, like, so at pier 17, right. So like on the rooftop, like right near the water, seeing a show, uh, like I went to a show like a week or two ago, it was fantastic. Cause it's outside yeah. it's fresh air. It's like beautiful view. There, there's nothing that replaces that energy of being at like a live show yeah. where you, you feel a little bit safer because you're outside. Yeah. yeah. Well, that's just real human energy. Right. And, and the idea of yes, we have figured out a way to technologically advance so that we don't functionally have to connect. And even creatively, like Charlie says, well, I've got a giant television. I have a home theater in my house. I don't have to go to the movie theaters. And a lot of people that work in the entertainment industry have a home theater. But my wife and I still love going to the theater. We can't wait for the day that we really can get back into that culture. You know, I mean, we live in an interesting world because I can go to the studio and we can screen things privately and so forth and so on. But that's a rarefied error because of where I work, right? The, the normal population of the world wants to go back to concerts, wants to go back to theaters and add it in, you know, have an additive life where they have a technologically sophisticated life and then in the real world life. And, and right now we've discounted the real world life and I think people are yearning to get it back. So we're working on it. Yeah, I, I had an interesting insight and I'll, I'll ask both of you if you've had the same. So, um, you know, we're all of a certain age where, where we sort of have our notion of what reality is. And then there's you know, a bunch of kids, students, you know, younger people whose reality is very digital. And I made the mistake personally of thinking that somehow my reality was more real than their reality. And, and it's not. And there's there's a mind shift that has to happen so that you know, this new hybrid reality where a lot of things are digital, some things are, are physical, there's like a new, there's like a reckoning sort of coming, right, yeah. about what's real and what's not real. And, and people, again, of a certain age, I think are predisposed to thinking their reality is more real than other people's. Well, so that's, that? 
that's a pretty deep one. I'll, I'll ask Charlie. You know, I don't know if we want to make this an extended version of our podcast. Because I know, we're, we're going. Oh, yeah, no, if you got to go, well, we can leave people with that. That open you can join program. us again, and we can do that as the starting <laughs> of the discussion yeah. because it's a big one to talk about, and you're you're extraordinarily correct. My, my general thesis is that atoms are becoming less and less valuable, and bits are becoming more and more valuable. Uh, people are valuing experiences rather than possessions. We're living in smaller spaces, both out of financial necessity, but also out of recognition that we have fewer things. Our things are digital now. I don't, you don't schlep around boxes of records and giant speakers, right? You don't, you don't own paintings and, and things that you put on your walls because it's in recognition that you spend most of your time staring at a screen, a television screen, a computer screen, a mobile phone screen. It's actually a kind of crazy great equalizer. I'm here on this beach. Uh, the guest of, of an affluent friend and you walk down the beach and there are these 15, 20, $30 million mansions. And guess what? The people aren't out on the lawn. They're inside looking at screens. Mm -hmm. That's correct. So it's sort of the great equalizer, right? Because I'm going to go back to my regular old middle-class house in the suburbs and I'm going to be exactly the same as that dude in the $50 million house here on the beach staring at my screens. That's the, the argument about you know, how automotive technology got to a point where unless you really wanted to own a hyper, hyper exotic car, you could pretty much own for you know, a relatively normal price an extraordinarily good, reliable, high-tech automobile. And it, you know, we democratized that. We've also democratized the idea of people owning technology. Laptops are very inexpensive now and smartphones. But, but again, basic pieces, publishing, digital, music, digital. digital you know, home decor, digital, mm -hmm. right? So, you know, in a way it's kind of sad because you think of that movie, that uh, short, YouTube short, Wingman, right? The guy's apartment is completely empty, but when he puts on his glasses, it's filled with everything. Right. But, but looking at it in the third person at this guy with glasses in the empty apartment, it's very sad. Yeah. You know, so it has those two things together and, yeah. and that is just so human. It, it reminds me seduced. Of yeah, walking around Manhattan during the pandemic with all the empty retail stores reminded me of that exactly. I just kept thinking, wow, if you had, you know, like glasses, you could see these amazing things, even though the storefront is empty. Yeah, well, as, as my wife says, she has lots of wonderful jewelry and no place to wear it. Anymore. No place to wear it. Well, and, in the, and we, you know, we often talk about Ready Player One as the really good book and good visual iconography of that. But I'd also give our listeners another one from a few generations before that, a movie called Brazil. Um, and yeah. if you haven't watched that, go back and watch Brazil. Uh, Charlie, you're making some interesting reference points about yes. the world yeah. that, we, that we live in. Yeah, watch out that's, for central services, though. Exactly. Right. Well, that's, that's, that's our time this week, guys. Thanks, everybody, for listening. Mike Pell, I love you, man. I'm looking forward to seeing you in the I can't wait to see you, Charlie. Good to see you, Ted. Uh, have a great weekend, everybody. Thanks for joining us. Bye. See you.